Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Grammar Girl here. This week, I have a quick and dirty tip about hanged versus hung, an interview about the history of apostrophes with Ammon Shea, the author of Bad English, and a tidbit about Adolf Sachs, the inventor of the saxophone. The standard quip is that curtains are hung and people are hanged. It's not quite that cut and dried. Some of my reference books say hung isn't wrong, just less customary when referring to past executions. And the Random House Unabridged Dictionary says that hung is becoming more common. But the majority of my books agree that the standard English past tense of hang is hanged when you're talking about dangling people from a rope. And in other cases, it's hung. It seemed a little curious to me that there'd be two past tense forms of the word hang that differ depending on their meaning. So I did some research and found out that in Old English, there were two different words for hang and hangen, and the entanglement of these words, plus an Old Norse word, hengyan, if I'm saying that right, is responsible for there being two past tense forms of the word hang today. So in general, the standard quip is correct. Curtains are hung and people are hanged. And that was your quick and dirty tip. Next, I have an interview with Amon Shea, the author of one of my favorite new books, Bad English. Hi, Amon. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Really, I just adored your book. And in particular, I want to talk about the chapter about apostrophes. <laughs> Source of never-ending trouble. <laughs> right. People complain about them today, but your book says that people have been complaining about them for a really long time. Right. It's something that, uh, it's a real constant. We, we, we have this idea that at some point in the past, it was a kind of utopian period of apostrophic normalcy or something <laughs> or what have you. And it, it's never been the case. Ever since their introduction into the language, uh, apostrophes have kind of shifted and changed, and uh, they've never been subject to any sort of agreement. And the the French hoisted these upon us, is that right? Well, it is the French or the Italians. Uh, since we're so fond of blaming other bad habits on the French, I think that many people go with that. Um, uh, there's uh, M.B. Parks, who wrote a wonderful book, a comprehensive book on punctuation in the Western world called Pause and Effect. Uh, he thought it came up first in a 1509 edition of uh, an Italian book of Petrarch. Uh, many people think, however, that Geoffrey Torrey, who was a, a French printer who also is responsible for introducing us to the cedilla and the accent, he used it in 1529 in French. So that's, it was definitely in use by that point. <laughs> so in the beginning, it was, it was 
clear how to use the apostrophe? Well, not quite. <laughs> it's never actually been clear. It first comes into English in the, in about 30 years later in 1559. And at first, it was really just used as a contraction or a mark of religion. We used it when we left out a letter or several letters. and but So that was fairly clear. There was no definite, rigid opinion on what letters could be left out or what couldn't be left out. But if you wanted to drop a letter in the middle of a sentence, uh, in the middle of a word, you would use an apostrophe. Of course, we're also talking about a time period when some very small percentage of the population was actually literate. So for most people, the apostrophe had no great impact on their lives. (laughs) Okay. And then you said, uh, by the restoration, People were getting completely carried away with this well, contraction yeah. idea. You know, it's you know, the, when, once you start using it, I guess it's it's kind of like crack. The apostrophe, it's kind of <laughs> addictive. You know, so there were people doing uh, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary of English Usage has some wonderful examples of a uh, uh, I apostrophe F A C was found, which I, I am pretty sure means in fact. Um, my personal favorite was apostrophe Z B U D which is an abbreviated form of God's blood. Um, so you get a lot of words kind of like that. Of course, this is also um, at a point where spelling is not that consistent. So um, you mix an indefinite spelling system and the free use of apostrophes, and things can get a little bit tricky. Yeah, I appreciated the interpretation you had of some of the words in your book, because I, I never would have been able to guess. Yeah, it's not immediately obvious when you see apostrophe Z-B-U-D that this is a, a, a shortening of a euphemistic kind of uh, religious term. Right. And I was surprised to read that some people initially considered the possessive apostrophe to be an error. Yeah, well, it, it kind of came late to the party. I mean, um, one thing that's been noted is that in Shakespeare's first folio in 1623, only about 4% of the words that today we would give an apostrophe to in the possessive case, um, like Othello's, um, you know, uh, Romeo's heart, um, only about 4% of those actually have an apostrophe. It was not very common at the uh, beginning of the 17th century, and it really took a while for it to catch on. And there was confusion and some degree of consternation because people didn't really know what the apostrophe was doing there in the possessive or the genitive case. And um, this is before we figured out all the rules of English, which, of course, we haven't figured it out yet. But um, there there was a great deal of... um, great number of misconceptions about the English language back then. And so some people thought that it was a mark of religion. So the king's book, the apostrophe was a shortening of the king, his book. And that was a kind of widespread theory for a while. And then some other people came along and more or less said, that's a very stupid idea. That's not the case. But people really disagreed about it vehemently. And then um, some people then think that what the apostrophe is doing is it's kind of hearkening back to our old English roots. So it was common in the masculine and the neuter genitive cases, so the king's book, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, to add an ES at the end of the noun. That would indicate possession. So if you look at it that way, well, sure, it makes sense. We're actually taking out the E and putting in an apostrophe, and that's why we have K-I-N-G apostrophe S. It's a pretty good theory. Um, I think a lot of people who pay attention to this, at least six or seven of them, 
subscribe <laughs> to that theory. But there was no real agreement on that this well that this was okay. And then when people started getting comfortable with it, some people would say, "Well, sure, we can do it for singular nouns. We can't do it for plural nouns. That's madness." <laughs> I, I, I really don't understand why they got so worked up about it, but it was a big deal. And was this in the 18th century? Uh, yes. Yeah, so grammarians were fighting about lots of things then, right? They were right? fighting about the color of their socks back then. I mean, anything they could get a fight out of, they would grab and, and you know. And none of them agreed with each other. Um, people were writing entire books just attacking their predecessor's position on what to do with the genitive apostrophe and the singular noun. I mean, they, they, they'd fight over anything they could. <laughs> it, was, it was like the TMZ of grammar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and you say that, you know, even today, the apostrophe is in flux. You point to how writing decades has changed. Right. So, you know, several decades ago, no pun intended, if you wrote, um, say, the 1950s, you would write 1950 apostrophe S. And that is generally not the case now. So that's, you know, that's just the blink of an eye. I mean, something changing in 30 years, that's nothing in terms of uh, the history of the language that we're looking at. Um, for instance, a lot of department stores have started dropping their apostrophe. The uh, famous British store, whose name I always mispronounce, it's either Harrods or Harrods, whatever, Harrods, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. They stopped using an apostrophe a little while ago. Um, Macy's over here still holds on to their apostrophes. They, they're very fond of them. But um, I just noticed today that Marshall's department store does not use an apostrophe. And um, I'm pretty sure that they used to. Uh, hmm. It was started by a man whose last name was Marshall. So Marshall's is probably means that it's his store. And uh, I've seen a number of old um, newspaper articles referring to Marshall's department store where it did, in fact, have an apostrophe. This is in, like, 1971. And I think that some of these stores just kind of realize, well, we don't really need it. I mean, it's it's not doing us any substantial good, and it's taking up real estate, so let's stop using it. I think it would not be surprising if this were to happen more and more frequently, given that we do not use apostrophes in um, typing out URLs. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of, you know, once you see that you don't need it, then it's very easy to do away with it in other contexts, I think. Right. It's a character if you're trying to hit 140 characters on Twitter. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So to end, you say that we're even flummoxed by how to pronounce the word apostrophe, and we're all getting it wrong. So set me right. straight. Well, yeah, that, that's my, 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 my thing that I say. If, if anybody does correct you on how you use your apostrophes, you can always turn around and correct them on the way that they pronounce it. <laughs> the current edition of the Oxford English Dictionary no longer says this, but um, the, the first edition of the OED, they had a kind of peevish and querulous editorial note, one of the very few that they have in that dictionary under apostrophe, where the editor, James Murray, said that it should be pronounced as the French pronounce it, which is apostrophe, <laughs> um, and three syllables rather than four, with the emphasis on the final syllable. Apostrophe. Apostrophe. And you would know, because you also wrote a book about the OED, right? <laughs> right, which is where I would have seen it. <laughs> right. And that, what was that called again? Uh, it was called, it had a very unimaginative title, which was Reading the OED. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And now your new book is Bad English. Again, that was Amon Shea, the author of Bad English. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. 
like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages, and you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then the phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com slash grammar. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today. Finally, here's your tidbit. Last week, we had an article on the Quick and Dirty Tips website from Vocabulary.com titled 15 Words You Didn't Realize Were Named After People. The first word on the list was saxophone, and reading more about him led me to a marvelous Victorian event called the Great Exhibition. Adolf Sax was a Belgian instrument maker who invented the saxophone while living in Paris making flutes and clarinets in 1840. Sachs patented his invention six years later, and the first mention of it in the Oxford English Dictionary is from the Catalogue of the Great Exhibition, which was held in 1851 at Hyde Park in London. The derivative noun saxophonist emerged soon thereafter, but it took a while for saxophone to spawn an adjective. We didn't get saxophonic until 1926. Many people refer to the Great Exhibition as the First World's Fair, According to the British Library website, Prince Albert, Queen Victoria's husband, wanted to showcase, quote, the wonders of industry and manufacturing from around the world, unquote, and created the great exhibition with the help of Henry Cole, a British inventor, and here's a great piece of trivia, the creator of the first commercial Christmas card. The great exhibition was meant to promote peace, and according to the Victoria and Albert Museum website, The exhibition was, quote, the first time that the nations of the world had ever come together in one place other than on a battlefield, unquote. The Great Exhibition was housed in an enormous glass building that came to be known as the Crystal Palace. The event covered more than 10 miles 
and more than 100,000 objects were displayed by more than 15,000 contributors. Sachs would have displayed his new instrument alongside marvels such as tapestries, urns, daguerreotypes, steam engines, state-of-the-art printing presses, weaponry, and armor. And more likely, the Sachs would have been viewed by Queen Victoria, who opened the exhibition and visited often. More than six million people came through the exhibition, and the profit and many of the exhibition items were used to create what's now known as the Victoria and Albert Museum. As I read more about the Great Exhibition, I started thinking it would be the ideal setting for a book or movie. If you know of any, please leave them in the comments on this article at quickanddirtytips.com. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. This podcast is produced in partnership with Macmillan Holdings, and today's episode was recorded in the studios at the Reynolds School of Journalism at the University of Nevada in Reno. That's all. Thanks for listening. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it, between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.